0: Good morning. I have a question. Why do you guys ignore these lonely tables over here? Hello, hello, hello. There we go. It was on, then he turned it off, so I'm not sure what that was about. I guess he's like, Dave, we don't, we don't want to hear your rambling today. All right, great, great to be here with you this morning. Uh, we're in the middle of Proverbs, and I'm going to jump right in today because we have a ton to get to, and I want to make sure that we don't cause a traffic jam on the way out of here like last week. So uh, I'm going to put this verse on the screen every, every morning for the next uh, few months, few weeks, I should say. Go to the next slide. This is the, the verse that frames the entire book of Proverbs. If you miss this one verse, then you've totally missed the point of Proverbs. Next slide. Do we have that? Here we go. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I want you to hear this every Sunday because you've got to frame all of our messages in this, in this uh, book of Proverbs with this passage in mind. Because what he's saying is that if you don't have this humility and this submission, this fear of God at the heart of everything that Proverbs says, then we can just call Proverbs advice, right? We can just say, okay, it's some good information. It just helps you manage life. It just helps you navigate the complexities of life. But you've got to have this idea that the fear of God is at the core of that. And if you don't have that, don't have the understanding, then the rest of the book is just sheer advice, human wisdom, and that sort of thing. So keep that in mind as we go through this entire uh, talk today as well. Now, uh, today we're going to talk about, I think, a really, really, really important topic. And we're talking about the heart today. Now, if if I were to say that word to most people, and my son especially, it's funny watching him at the age of four, try to understand this idea of the heart, not just the the physical organ, but the the spiritual um, reality that we're trying to communicate to him. So we, whenever I discipline him, I try to make sure he knows, you know, son, it's not just that you're, you know, hitting your sister was wrong, but um, when you did that, you, you're selfish inside your heart. You're selfish, and he's like, I- I'm not selfish inside my heart. He's arguing. I'm like, well, now you're being argumentative inside your heart, so she to be quiet, right? So, so we try to communicate this idea to him. And at this age, it's very vague. It sounds very complex to him. He doesn't quite get that yet. But when I say to you the heart, I hope you know I'm talking about more than just the physical organ, obviously. I'm talking about the center of our being, the core of who we are. Throughout Scripture, the, heart, the word heart is used to describe the center of who we are as people. It's, it's where everything flows out of. And so, But, but here's, here's my fear. Here's my fear. Is that if, if I were, if someone were to ask me the question, okay, what is the goal for Sundays and Wednesdays in the Outback or in your G groups? I would say it's to impact your heart. it's heart change. That's what we're about here. We are, we are not here just to put on a show and put on some songs and put on some words on the screen, put on some videos. I mean, if, if you're an outsider, if you're not if you're not a believer in Christ. And somebody who's not a Christian walked into this environment. I often think sometimes that, that church looks really weird. Like we're, I've grown up in the church, but we're, we're very strange people doing all these things if we're not about heart change. If we're not trying to see God change us at the core of our being, our heart, then this is just a waste of time. Like we walk into the church, we get dressed up on Sunday morning, we walk into the church, everyone puts on a smile, we sing some songs some guy on the stage says some words, and we walk out, and we go have lunch. I mean, it's just a strange ritual. If you're not really here for heart change and not really wanting to hear God's words so that your heart can truly change, then this is just a big waste of time, right? I think that many of you would say that anyone who's not here for those reasons, we, you would call them a hypocrite. You would say, well, why are you going through all these motions just for what? To put up a front. Why are you doing this? And so the whole point of Sundays and Wednesdays here has to be heart change. But here's my fear, though. My fear is that many of us, and I would say many of your parents, I'm not bashing anyone's parents today, many of us as parents, we go after behavior change before we go after heart change. We try to, we try to teach behavior change before we try to teach heart change. And I would say that that many of your parents probably, um, not fully, but some of their motivation may be in bringing you here might be just, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I also want my kid to be a good person. I want them to get good grades. I don't want them getting pregnant or getting somebody else pregnant. Uh, I don't want them to smoke. I don't want them to drink. Don't do drugs. But here's the reality. Many of them, I think, miss the heart. They miss the heart. I talked to a guy uh, last week. Um, after church on Sunday here, and he said, you know, I feel like my parents just teach me morals. I feel like they just are all about, okay, Jesus, we believe in Jesus, but, you know, they really care about, okay, are you living a moral life? Which could be good if it's got the right heart behind it, but if that's all they're teaching, they're missing the heart. They're missing the heart. And so, turn to Proverbs chapter 4, verses uh, 1 through 5. We'll start there. Proverbs 4, verses 1 through 5. And here's what Solomon says to us. He says, listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning. So do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. So once again, who's writing this again? Who's writing this? Solomon. And so once again, we see a father wanting to instill wisdom in his son. And what I want you to see in verse 3, he says, uh, he says, For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. So here's Solomon talking to his own son, and he's reminding his son, he's saying, Hey, I was once in your shoes. I was once a son to a father and a son to a mother. Do you guys ever forget for a moment that, that your parents were kids at one point? Do you guys forget that sometimes? Do you guys forget? Like, it's, you look at mom and dad and you just think they, they've always, you've always seen them as mom and dad. You never knew them as anything except mom and dad. But you have to remind yourself, your, your parents were exactly where you find yourself right now, Right? Do you ever, like, look at pictures of your parents, like, from way back when and just go, it's just so weird to think of my mom and dad, like, in being a teenager? Isn't that just strange? Like, it's kind of scary when you think about it, right? And so Solomon is reminding his son, he's saying, hey, I used to be in your shoes. I was right where you sit right now. He's reminding his his son that he was once a son to a mother and a father. Who was Solomon's dad? David? David, yes, he was. Who was Solomon's mother? Do you remember? You guys sound not confident on this one. Bathsheba. All right. So everyone, recall the story of David and Bathsheba. Do any recount the story? You guys know the story of David and Bathsheba. If not, just read your Bible. You can figure it out. Uh, go ask your parents that story. We'll, we'll, we'll say that. Um, I'm not going to get into that right now, but. Um, their story is, is a pretty crazy story. Now, do you think... I'm just wondering if, if Solomon ever had that moment where he said to his dad, Hey, Dad, how did you and Mom meet? And the awkward conversation that ensued after that, right? The part where David had to say, Well, I'll be honest with you. I lived a pretty messed up life. And... um. Let's just say that on our first date, I got her pregnant, and then I had her husband killed, and then I stole her as my own wife. That's how we met. That is a fairy book story, if I've ever heard one, or a fairy tale story, if I've ever heard one, right? And so, you can imagine if this conversation ever happened between Solomon and his dad, David, here's what's amazing about this, listen. Listen. David's had a really messed up life in many areas, but he did not let his past paralyze him. He still still instilled wisdom in his kids. So Solomon is saying to his son, he's saying, my dad instilled wisdom in me, and I'm now instilling it in you. So David didn't let his past paralyze him from instilling wisdom in his son. What's even more amazing than that, I want you to listen to this is that Solomon probably knew their story of his parents' messed up past, but he still listened to his dad's wisdom. He still listened to his parents' wisdom. I just want to know how many of you, this is a rhetorical question, don't answer with your hand raised, but how many of you can say that maybe at times in your life you've ignored your parents' wisdom based on their past? Like, you know their past, it may be a, a difficult past, but you've ignored their wisdom based on their sin and their past. And what you've done is you've, you've now made their sin an excuse for your sin, right? You've now made their sin an excuse to disregard everything that they say. This is not what Solomon did. Solomon still listened to his father in spite of his father's past sins. So the question is, do you, do you write people off because of their past sins? Do you, do you pay them no mind because of their past sins? Do you do this to people that are in authority over you? Do you look at someone and say, yeah, they're, they've got a tough story, so I'm not going to listen to anything they have to say? Or are you someone that, that learns from their mistakes so you don't make the same ones? Solomon was someone who wanted to learn from his father and and get great wisdom from him. Look at verse 4. It says, then he taught me. He said to me, this is Solomon now quoting his own dad, David. He says, then he taught me and he said to me, take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. So here's the picture that David is using. He is, if you can imagine your heart that has like a hand that can reach out. He's saying, I want your heart to take hold of these words, take hold of these truths. And if you can imagine a heart literally taking these words in and absorbing them into that person's being, that person's core, this is what he is telling his son to do with wisdom. Let's be really honest this morning. If, if you don't let wisdom and the fear of God sink into your bones, sink into your entire being, you're going to walk away from this place, your, your home, your church, your school, and your life is just going to be a train wreck if you decide to walk your own way and not let these things, from God's word, absorb into you. Let's just be honest, if, if, if that's what you're going to do with this stuff, then your life is going to end up being a train wreck, right? If you try to ex- exercise your own human wisdom and put that above God's wisdom, that's where your life is going to go. And so, in verse 4, I want, or verse 5, I'm sorry, no, verse 4, I, mean, I was right the first time, he says, take hold of my words with all your heart, keep my commands and you will live. He says, keep my commands and you'll live. Now, he's not saying, if you don't obey me, I'm going to kill you. He's not saying that exactly. He's saying something entirely different. He's saying that if you, if you listen to my commands, that's where you're going to find life. That's where you're going to find life. You're going to see this theme repeated over and over again throughout Proverbs, that if you live this way, this is where real life is offered to you. This is where real life is. So many of you in the room, you, you picture Christianity as a half-life or a subpar life, and you see everything else apart from God as real life, and God's holding you back from real life. Proverbs says the exact opposite, that this is where real life is found. And so I want you to get this last quote. Write this down for yourself. Go to the next slide. So what he's saying to us is if, if you guard your heart wisdom is going to guard you. If you guard your heart, wisdom will guard you. If you latch onto these things that I'm saying to you, then wisdom is going to have a protective quality over your life. It's going to protect you and guard you. Go ahead and discuss uh, your, question, your first four questions at your tables, or first three questions, I should say. Go ahead and discuss questions one through three. Go ahead and discuss All right, what I'm going to ask you guys to do is skip all the way down to verse 20 of chapter 4. Skip all the way down to verse 20 of chapter 4. So Proverbs 4:20. Here's what it says. It says, "My son, pay attention to what I say." Do you notice that he keeps on saying this over and over again? He keeps on saying over and over, "Pay attention." You get the feeling that his son is, like, starting to tune him out a little bit. Like his son has ADD, right? So he says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Now, what he means by this, he's saying incline your ear, meaning not just physically listen, but he means really listen. Listen to me, right? Verse 21, do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. So basically, he understands as a dad that what he's about to say his son could easily forget. His son could easily just go, yeah, I don't, I don't know where I put those words that you, you gave me, those bits of wisdom. I, I seem to have lost those somewhere along the way. Verse 22, For they are life to those who find them, and health to one's whole body. And the verse 23 is the key verse that I want you to get today. Verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And then go to the next slide, because I want you to see another translation of the same verse. This is the ESV Bible. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And so... All throughout Scripture, the heart is considered the center of one's being, the the core of who we are. The heart is the master control over your entire life. It is like the rudder of a ship. Uh, In fact, I would say it this way, that a wrong heart leads to a wrong life. And so he gives us a very vivid picture here of a spring, that the heart is like a spring. Listen to this. Your heart is like a spring. And your life is like a river that flows from that spring. So I want to show you this next picture. Go to the next slide. Anybody here know where that is? It's not too far from here. Barton Springs in Austin. And what this is, is anyone here gone swimming before? Anybody been in Barton Spring before in Austin, Zilker Park? The water is extremely warm, isn't it? No, it's freezing. Okay. If, if you go to Barton Springs, uh, it could be 105 degrees outside. but And you're like, man, 60-degree water sounds great. And then you get in, and you're just like shivering. You're like, why did people come here, right? And so the water there is extremely cold. And the reason why it's cold, because there's a spring downstream that comes from under the ground. And so all the water doesn't get any sunlight. And it bubbles out of the ground at some point downstream and then bubbles into this area and goes down towards uh, Town Lake Park. So the, whatever is coming from downstream, whatever's coming out of the spring, eventually comes downstream, right? This is, what, this is very basic stuff, but, but this is what he's saying is our life is like and our heart is like this. Whatever is, is coming out of your heart eventually ends up going downstream into your life. So if you have a problem with what's happening in your life, you, you got to look downstream with the source. you got to look at your heart, right? You've got to look at your heart. And so this is a very vivid picture that Solomon is, is using here, that, that our heart and our life have a similar, to, similar to relationship to a spring and a river. And so whatever is in your heart will eventually travel downstream into your life. And so if things are all messed up in your life, then it shows that your heart is messed up. Your heart needs fixing. And so if you have a problem with anger, you don't just have an anger problem, you have a heart problem. If you got a problem with greed, you don't just have a money problem, you have a heart problem. If you have a lust issue, it's not just a lust issue, it's a heart issue. And so whatever is happening in your life that's just messed up, you, you can look upstream to where your heart is, and know that that is the source. This next picture, I want you to see this next picture. This is the BP oil spill that took place in the Gulf about, what, a year ago now? Is that right? About a year ago? Two years ago. And if you remember, this big explosion takes place on the oil rig, and so it it disconnects from the, the underground source, and it was this constant just bubbling of oil into the Gulf for Days, weeks, and how long did that thing go for like ninety something days is that right? you guys remember how long that was? Um, a long, long time basically right so but just think about this situation uh, how did they fix that situation? How do they fix it right because they went they went way down underneath and they had to cap off the source right now it, can you imagine if if the plan to fix this mess was simply just to kind of corral the oil on top of the water. Let's just clean up the beaches. Let's just clean up what we can on the surface. Let's just do what we can on the outside. Well, meanwhile, underneath the surface, there's this continual just bubbling of oil into the Gulf, right? Right? But this is exactly what you and I do when it comes to fixing our heart. We try to scurry around trying to fix the outside, trying to fix what's broken on the outside, and we totally ignore What's way down in the depths, the source, which is our heart, that is literally oozing out sin and bubbling downstream, right? And we totally ignore the source of the problem, which is the heart. We address behavior without addressing the heart. We see this all over our culture. I'll show you another picture. I'm just full of pictures today. this guy um, who's stomping on the Packers player, his name is Ndamukong Su. Try to spell that first name. It's really difficult. But his name is uh, Kong Su. And he, um, in, this, in this play here, he's in a scuffle and he's leaving. The guy's trying to pull him off and he's literally stomping on the guy's arm. And what's funny about this is that no matter how much video he watched of his own actions, he still maintained that, no, I did not stomp on his arm in that situation, Right? I was trying to get up quickly, and my foot landed on his arm. That's what he said. So, um, yeah, several times over and over again. Uh, So what's funny, though, is whenever an NFL player has this anger outburst or gets suspended, the NFL will often say things like, all right, we'll suspend you two games, and we're going to send you to anger management. Which, I'm just picturing this defensive lineman for the Detroit Lions being in anger management. Can you just picture this with me? Like, what, what do they teach you in anger management? Anyone ever gone to anger management before? Just want to see some hands. Okay. So, I'm not sure what they teach you here, but I'm just trying to picture this guy sitting in a little desk with other people around that are much smaller and them explaining okay, when you get angry in Dama Kong Su, I want you to. Count to ten and breathe really deeply and think of the color pink. Right? Like what do you what do you tell a guy like this how to control his anger? What what do you tell a guy like that? Well, the, the issue is the issue is the heart, right? The issue is the heart. You you can't just fix up the outside and expect the heart to change because you fixed up the fixed up the outside. And so we see this all the time throughout our culture that people try to to fix the heart just by changing behavior, or they totally ignore the heart altogether. And so what I want you to get uh, from all of this is that because you and I have a heart problem, you and I cannot just flip a switch and fix the heart problem. This whole thing obviously goes towards Jesus. This, This is where Jesus comes in. Jesus, what he does in our life is that when you place your faith in him, when you submit your life to him, he gives you a new heart. This is all throughout the Bible, that that God literally gives you a new heart with new desires, new longings, new yearnings. This is what salvation is. And so instead of you just trying to fix up what's broken on the outside, Jesus takes what's broken on the inside. He fixes it when you submit your life to him, when you surrender to him. This is exactly why you and I need Jesus. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new heart. And so, the question I want to ask you this morning is if you're someone who you find yourself not really getting this thing called the gospel, not really getting this thing called Christianity, not really understanding what it means to follow Jesus, it might be because you're just trying to change your behavior, you're trying to follow some rules. And you haven't fully given your heart to Christ yet. You haven't let him give you a new heart. So if that is you, if you don't know where you stand with Christ this morning, I want to invite you to, when you leave this place today, you go home. You pray. You say, God, I want this new heart that you offer every person. I I want to be a new creation. I want that. I'm tired of trying to fix the outside. I'm, I'm tired of trying to change my behavior. I want that new heart. If you ask him that, he will give it to you. There's there's no debate going on there. He will give that to you. But if you're someone that's already a believer, you know you're a believer in Christ, but you just, you struggle in this area of heart change, letting God really change your heart. I want to challenge you this morning to ask yourself three really important questions on a continuous basis. Okay, go to the next slide. The first question is this, what's really happening in your heart? So when you, when you sin, when you find yourself doing things that even you can't explain, you've got to ask yourself the question, okay, what's really happening in the depths of my heart? What's happening? Right? You've got to ask those kinds of questions. You've got to start to ask deeper heart issue questions, not just, hey, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Right? Go to the next slide. The next question I want you to think about is, do you ever ask God to reveal your heart sins? When you pray to God, do you ever ask him, do you ever say, God, I want you to reveal to me the sins of my heart. I want you to reveal to me the sins that even I can't see. Because when you're, at, when you're trying to follow Christ, it's very easy to just focus on the things that you know you did wrong, the things that you know you sin in, those outward actions. But do you ever ask God to reveal what's really happening in the heart? Do you ask him to reveal your heart's sins? And then lastly, last slide. Do you confess the sin behind the sins? In other words, everything that you and I do that's outwardly sinful, there can be a line drawn from that action back into your heart because it is flowing from your heart. And do you ever confess when you can identify the sin behind the sin, so to speak, the sin of your heart, do you confess it to him? Do you confess that to him and turn even from that sin in repentance? There's been this video kind of circulating on Facebook the last week or so. I wanted to show you to close out. And once this video is done playing, you'll discuss your last few questions at your tables. And if we can get that expanded there, we'll just we'll play this. You guys can make sure we have volume two, by the way. Not always, it's a problem.
1: What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores religion might preach grace but another thing they practice tend to ridicule God's people they did it to John the Baptist they can't fix their problems and so they just mask it not realizing religions like spraying perfume on a casket see the problem with religion is it never gets to the core it's just behavior modification like a long list of chores like let's dress up the outside make it look nice and neat but it's funny that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath now I ain't judging I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. Because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too, but no one seemed to be on to me. Acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. See, on Sunday I'd go to church, but Saturday getting faded acting if I was simply created to just have sex and get wasted. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness. But now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people. It's a hospital for the broken. Which means I don't have to hide my failure. I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me. It depends on him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, he looked down and said, I want that man. Which is why Jesus hated religion, and for it he called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify. I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin. But if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men. But the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention how Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do. Jesus says done. Religion says slave. Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage, while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man, which is why salvation is freely mine and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserved. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin, and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, Come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it. Because when Jesus said, It is finished, I believe he meant it.